Hi everyone, and welcome to Remaking Tomorrow, a series of conversations about the future of teaching and learning. I'm Ryan Rudzeski, here with Greg Baer, and we're the co-authors of When You Wonder, You're Learning, Mr. Rogers' Enduring Lessons for Raising Creative, Curious, Caring Kids. This is a podcast powered by Remake Learning, a network that ignites engaging, relevant, and equitable learning in support of young people navigating rapid social and technological change. On today's episode, we're talking with Sean Smith and Todd Karuskin of McGraw-Hill, one of the largest educational publishers in the United States. Founded in 1888, the company partners with millions of educators, learners, and professionals around the world. Sean Smith is Chief Innovation Officer, and Todd Karuskin is Vice President of Professional Services. And both were renowned school system leaders before they joined McGraw-Hill. Sean and Todd, welcome to Remaking Tomorrow. Thank you. We're really excited to be here. Yeah, thank you for having us. Sean, let's start with you. You've written of EdTech that ultimately every resource, tool, or platform that we provide educators should serve to lessen the logistical burdens of their work and to elevate the uniquely human, incredibly complex art form teachers use to create personalized, enriching learning experiences for their students. That's a beautiful sentence. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to elaborate on it. How is it that technology can elevate what's uniquely human? I really feel like I've been thinking about this complex problem for quite some time. I remember being an elementary school principal back in 2005, thinking about the potential to be able to create a digital lesson for every Illinois state standard. And back then, that was actually before the invention of the iPad. So even thinking about how we would actually distribute that to kids in the classroom was something we were grappling with. Ultimately, though, for me, one of the things that I have been trying to push the boundaries of for educators is when you think about their daily workflow, understanding exactly where kids are in what I would call Vygotsky's zone of proximal development, that sweet spot of learning, knowing exactly and precisely what should be taught next for every kid, and then matching that with high quality instructional resources and content is what teachers actually do on a daily basis. But we don't really have the tools in place, or at least we haven't for the last two decades, to actually do that at scale for every kid and get faster in the daily workflow for teachers. Could we do that in every lesson or every group that kids might be working in? And so that's been the fundamental design problem that I've been thinking about for quite some time. Todd, you led the Elizabeth Ford School District outside of Pittsburgh which earned all kinds of national recognition, especially for its use of technology. Can you tell us a bit about how your teachers and school leaders apply tech to enable that, quote, incredibly complex art form, as Sean just described? Sean and I go back almost 10 years, and Sean helped us, actually, at Elizabeth Ford, start to personalize learning and what that looked like. And I'll never forget, we had one-to-one initiative, and I was so proud, K-12, we had iPads for every student 13 years ago now. And Sean came out, and we visited elementary and middle school and high school classrooms, and you know he talked all about the great things he saw. But then he really pushed us to another level of how do you scale personalized learning? We saw pieces of it. We didn't see it in certain classrooms. And when he left that day, I remember we were like deflated because we were thinking he was going to tell us all these great things we were doing. And but, you know, it made us sit back and truly help us understand what personalized learning can look like in a classroom. And for third grader needs first grade material, how do we help them with that? 
And if a third grader needs fifth grade material, how do we help that student with that piece? And it took several years of working with our teachers, and we actually started to personalize professional development. We started setting goals. We created a digital ecosystem. We built a learning management system, and we had all the digital tools in place and supported our teachers on a daily basis. When our technology director left, we created a director of digital teaching and learning position, and that person was never in the office. Uh, he was out in the field working with teachers to build capacity within all our teachers. And professional development days looked a lot different. Uh, before Sean came to visit our school, uh, it was almost a buffet of apps we taught our teachers how to, to use, but we never really stood back and did a inventory of all the digital tools we had and what are the ones that are non-negotiable and then start to build from there. So it was a transition over probably a decade of work of building a, a mindset and a culture within Elizabeth Ford School District of, okay, we're going to try this, we'll play around with this, and, and we might fail, but we'll learn from our failures and continue to build. And the culture just was incredible, but it took time to build that. So uh, I'm a former fourth grade teacher myself, and Todd, honestly, I wish I had taught at the Elizabeth Forward School District because I hear the term personalized learning, and I've been out of the classroom for a decade, and I still get heart palpitations when I hear that. You know, not because I disagree with the need for it, but because I know how many demands teachers already have on their plate. And the idea of differentiating those demands for every learner in my classroom feels overwhelming. So Sean, how can you help me? Let's start by freeing up some of my time. Yeah, that's great. Well, I think a couple of things. So the first thing that has really influenced my work as an educator and and then as an administrator was Elmore's work around the instructional core. That is the heart of what we're trying to help improve, which is where the teacher and the student come together in the presence of content. The role of technology is to help elevate and enable that core and amplify it so that every kid can truly have that personalized experience. So what we want the technology to do is to take away the logistical, the computational, and the administrative burden, and to be able to literally, with a click or two, allow for a teacher to have just the right materials at just the right moment for every single child. Now, part of that has to rethink the way we actually structure the actual classroom with one teacher and, and call it 25 kids and how a teacher thinks about the flow of the lesson. So if you think about a math lesson, let's say for an hour, instead of standing up in the front of the room for you know 30 minutes and maybe providing a direct instruction lecture, we know that the planning of that is also intense, right? But what if the technology, what if the algorithms behind the scene could actually serve up opportunities for teachers to maybe meet individually with kids or small groups of kids for 10 or 15 minute chunks of time and get much more impact from that opportunity. And that's where we think technology continuously is getting better. And then it cultivates that relationship between the kids and the teacher in the presence of instructional content. Can I add uh, to Sean? Uh, I'll never forget several years ago, we brought high school teachers down to the elementary to view station rotation and what personalized learning looked like in, in an elementary classroom. And that teacher, just a couple months after the visit, started to transform her room 
she said, you know, I taught for 20 years in front of the room. And finally, now I actually have time to spend with students who are struggling in the foreign language that she was teaching because she had time to be more of a facilitator and walk between groups. We saw a lot of that paradigm shift of, of teachers understanding what that room can look like. You know, one of the things as a, as a former administrator and then an ed tech entrepreneur and now here at McGraw-Hill, I've had the privilege to walk thousands of classrooms across the United States in probably at least 30 to 40 different states across the country. And one of the things that I'll tell you is if you want to take away all the noise of what you're looking for when you step into a classroom, go right to the instructional task that kids are asked to do. And that will give you incredible amounts of information about the cognitive complexity of the task, about the rigor, about the appropriateness of exactly where the student is in the learning process. And over time, we can support teachers in getting just the right instructional task for every single learner in their classroom more often than they're able to do today without the use of technology. And the ability to have a a common language, I mean, this is one thing, if there's district administrators or principals out there that are listening to, to this podcast, the ability to describe with very specific language that everybody in your building or in your district can articulate and understand the level of the cognitive complexity of the task. And so I'm a big rare book collector. I have a ton of rare books in education one of which is the original text of Bloom's Taxonomy. It's widely adopted in the States for a language to talk about the rigor of the task. And to be able to precisely say, I think this is a task that's asking kids to analyze information versus just maybe comprehend it or regurgitate it back. And being able to really differentiate that is a key part of this. And it's funny because while this is about technology driving personalized learning, those foundational principles of just great teaching practices have to be in place first. And then the technology can enable you to do amazing things with one teacher and 25 or 30 kids. Contrary to lots of narratives, schools are always evolving, at least the types of schools of which you two have been part. I mean, just think today, there are STEAM teachers in schools. There are directors of instructional innovation. Those seem pretty normal now, but they weren't normal a decade ago, to be sure. And Todd, at Elizabeth Ford, you created a new position. You described it a moment ago, a director of digital teaching and learning whose role was to never be in the office. Tell us more, what did that person do exactly? And are the professional services that McGraw-Hill offers analogous in some way? And as we started to look at school districts across the country, uh, Ryan Amparelli from Baltimore County, he had this similar position where you had a director of digital teaching and learning, and you had a director of information technology. Most schools you know, have a technology director, but we wanted to drill down even further as our director of digital teaching and learning left. And so we created both positions and the director of information technology was in charge of all the boxes and wires. And he would get upset when I said just the box and the wires, because it's a lot more than just boxes and wires. And then hiring the director of digital teaching and learning, he helped us build out our digital ecosystem, created a inventory of all the digital tools that we had in the district. We looked at reports, administrative reports of who were using what. And we continue to evaluate that uh, right before I left. But the director of digital teaching and learning made sure that we were building capacity within our elementary, middle school, and high school. This is Greg Bear, along with Ryan Rudzeski. We're talking with Sean Smith and Todd Kreskin of McGraw-Hill. 
Greg noted just a moment ago that there are some amazing things happening in public schools across the country. And the two of you are in unique positions in that you get to see those things. You get to talk to teachers and work with schools all over the place. I am wondering if each of you might share an example of something you've seen that particularly excites you about the future of teaching and learning. Sean, let's start with you. There are countless examples of rock star teachers that continue to do the big lift for kids in their classroom. One of the things that gets me really excited is when I have seen real examples where districts have truly focused on building out curricula and kind of the teaching and learning practices around the idea where several subjects or domains kind of come together in a cluster. And I do think that there is a real appetite for beyond creativity, the ability to help our kids actually think. It's not so much as the bright, shiny object of an actual tech tool or an iPad or personalized device, whatever it may be in the classroom, but it's the districts who have had a relentless focus on kids owning the thinking in the classroom. And I've seen that. And I do think there is a movement where we're in some ways, we're starting to gain traction where you've got leaders that are focusing less on kind of the, the drill and skill and more on the, the heavy thinking that kids should be doing to compete in the 21st century. And Todd, is there something that you've seen that really excites you about the future of teaching and learning? The reason I came to McGraw-Hill is I think about before COVID, very few schools were one-to-one, -one. very few schools had learning management systems. Greg, you know, we were trying to work through the Pittsburgh Personalized Learning Network and the Pennsylvania Personalized Learning Network with the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative and the Grable Foundation. You know, you think about COVID and you think of a positive, it definitely accelerated the digital ecosystem for school districts across the country. More schools now are one-to-one, -one. more schools have learning management system, more schools have digital tools in place. You know, and I think about post-COVID, how do we, even within McGraw-Hill, how do we support school districts across the country now? I think a lot of school districts threw a lot of digital tools at their teachers but how do they start to develop a plan moving forward to be able to personalize learning in the classroom and do that through scale? I just got off the phone actually uh, with McKenzie, and they're doing a study right now. And, and what they're seeing is the partnership with professional development and with companies now are stronger than ever after post-COVID. And that's what the administrators are saying across the country, that they want a stronger relationship and a stronger partnership with different educational companies out there to help them create more of a student-centered classroom. Yeah, and one of the things that I would add to that is, as we converge in this rapid proliferation and acceleration of technology, of generative AI, I'll tell you where I actually think the most hidden opportunity is for educational innovation and probably the most challenging. If you wanna disrupt the actual classroom, try disrupting the bell schedule in a school. Just turn it on its head and you will absolutely have something that completely looks different than what we have today. And, and what's happening is, is we're building this foundation. Todd talked about it. We're building all of the necessary foundational elements to then take this quantum leap forward that I think the classroom of the future is gonna look very different maybe 10, 15 years from now, but we have this big layer of infrastructure that needed to be in place. The next big thing 
are symbolic and cultural barriers in the school, which is largely just the idea of the eight to three day and how we actually schedule kids. Speaking of quantum leaps, you mentioned a moment ago, Sean, uh, generative AI and tools like ChatGPT are going to have huge implications for learners. I'm curious about how that technology has affected your industry already and how you're thinking about leveraging generative AI to help teachers on the ground. Clearly, there's a lot of noise around it, right? And so you're definitely hearing a lot more about it. And uh, it's an important topic. There's no question that if anybody thinks that it's not going to have an impact in our industry, I think they would be foolish to kind of go down that path. The old days of just being able to Google any answer that you might have, I mean, this takes that and, and amplifies it like there's no tomorrow. So we've got to be able to actually teach kids to interact with the technology. This idea that schools are banning chat GPT from some of their coursework. And I know at the university level, that is definitely playing out to a large extent on kids writing papers and things like that. We've got to be able to catch up with a lot of policies for sure. But the idea to put our heads in the sand and just ignore it or just ban the tool, in my opinion, is we're going in the wrong direction. Now, from an industry perspective where we sit in the publishing space, I do think there are a lot of opportunities for us to innovate and to really be able to better serve teachers, do things a little bit faster that we want to do, to be able to actually continue to drive hyper-personalization of our content and our services is something that's critical for us. So it's an area that we're deeply looking at. We're very interested in it. I think it will have other impacts across our industry, but I'm definitely a fan of the fact that we have to help schools, especially teachers, with older kids embrace these new technologies and not turn our back on them. We've been talking about the future of education, and we want to talk, too, about its foundation. Sean, you mentioned that you're a private book collector, and you own one of the largest private collections of John Dewey's writings in the world. First of all, what? <laughs> How did this collection get started? What attracted you to Dewey and his philosophies and maybe more interestingly, has it changed the way you think about your role as an innovator? I actually became really inspired by his writings when I came across one of the passages that really was the genesis of what they have kind of labeled him as the father of progressive education. And what's really fascinating is at the end of the 1800s and then into the early 1900s, Dewey was writing about a lot of complex problems in our public education system that honestly are still here today. And he was writing about the overlap of curriculum from one grade to the other, a lot of inefficiencies and in how we're organized, and then ultimately how kids think and how humans learn. And that really drew me into wanting to actually read his writings in kind of the original source and publication versus other people's reflections on him. And so that started it. Then I got down a rabbit hole, uh, like a lot of uh, collectors do, and I started finding these things that you really just can't buy, which is first edition, first printings. He published over a thousand pieces of work from everything from scholarly journals to landing articles in Ladies Home Journal and Time Magazine. So he not only influenced the way we think as an education profession, but also pop culture. There was a ton of things uh, mid-century where he was producing that had large impact on the consumer. So I just found him a really fascinating philosopher and have been inspired by a lot of his writing. Todd, how can people find out more about the work you're doing? 
I think the work that we're doing at McGraw Hill is super exciting. And I think people can follow the work on Twitter and LinkedIn. We've been posting a lot of things, but uh, we're going to be pushing out and publishing a lot of the work that we're going to be able to do to help support schools. And and currently we're working, uh, you know, we have our Alex, we have Achieve 3000 Literacy, Smarty Ants, Actively Learn. Our team is uh, working with schools across the country right now regarding uh, station rotation and how to start personalizing learning using the digital tools. So not just putting students on the digital tool, but how do we help teachers start to change the pedagogy in a classroom? So we have a team of about 70 uh, professional development that's going to go out and work uh, with schools across the United States. So we're super excited about this work. Sean and Todd, before we go, we have just one more question for both of you. And Sean, we'll start with you, please. What's one thing that parents and educators can do today to make tomorrow a more promising place for every learner? I think the number one thing, if I were a parent, and obviously teachers know this because they are trying to amplify this every day in the classroom, is to really understand exactly where kids are in terms of their academic performance, but go a step further and find their passions and their interests and connect their passions and what kids are excited about with practical applications in the real world so that they can see how the skills and dispositions that they might be learning at home or in the classroom translate into meaningful place in society and actually doing uh, something that you actually love. So I would say it's a combination of, of academic understanding of where kids are, but just as important interest and passions because we've got to be able to connect the two together. What I've seen across the country is parents who are connected to their schools, uh, volunteering in their schools. I, that was one thing at Elizabeth Ford we tried to do where we had parents coming in to work with students in the maker spaces of the elementary, really just lending a hand within the school and supporting the schools and uh, getting behind the schools. Thanks again to Sean Smith and Todd Karuskin of McGraw-Hill, where Sean serves as Chief Innovation Officer and Todd is Vice President of Professional Services. Remaking Tomorrow is powered by Remake Learning. Learn more at remakelearning.org.